Well, we are in this straightforward series. We're talking about the simplicity of what it means to follow Jesus. And it's been this idea. I don't know about you. I, I know sometimes I've been in church my whole life. I kind of grew up in church. I used to say I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church on Sunday, Wednesday, every time. It gets a little laugh. It's a dad joke, right? So happy Father's Day. We do dad jokes. But uh, but it's that idea. I mean, it was just part of it. Like, it was part of my life altogether. And it seemed like the longer I became a Christian, the harder it got to follow Jesus. There were more things to do, more times I was supposed to show up to church, more mission projects I was supposed to adopt. It was just like the burden kept giving, getting heavier and heavier. And it's this idea that we're been looking at a few weeks and we're going to look at a few weeks uh, from here on is that following Jesus, he says, my yoke is easy, my burden's light. Like it shouldn't be difficult. It's just straightforward. I mean, it's, it's an easy lifestyle that we get to go into. It doesn't mean it's always going to, there's not going to be any pain. It doesn't mean there's not going to be trials and struggles, but there's simple steps of what it means to follow Jesus. And we spent a couple weeks ago talking about what it was to, to let go of your nets, to let go of bitterness, <clears throat> and to let go of other things in our life, fears that just held on to us and that we could step into and grab hold of. We talked a couple weeks ago then about taking up our cross, living a life of significance. And that taking up your cross is not a burden. It actually means that we get to take up the cross of sharing God's love with other people, God's forgiveness with other people, living out the humility of Christ as he lived before us. And we're going to finish this series now by looking at three opportunities where people were not following Jesus, had an encounter with him, and then began to follow him completely. And uh, these three were encounters were through certain healings that he did. And we're going to look at the physical healings and how the spiritual aspects of those really tie in to us as well. You ever had an encounter with somebody that just kind of, you know, maybe it was somebody famous you've always wanted to meet. And like you finally saw them on the street somewhere or were able to go to a, I mean, just like, you know, you got a picture with them or just to say, I saw that person. I mean, I remember as probably a couple of years ago, I remember walking, I was in Times Square, God forbid, I don't know why, but I was there, and I saw Taylor Swift coming out of, uh, like, the Good Morning America, and I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan, but there was, like, so much energy and excitement. People were, like, running and screaming, like, their life was going to be, you know, impacted because they saw Taylor Swift, like, they had this brief encounter with her. I've had a few of those in my life, not with Taylor Swift, but uh, I've told this I think story before, I remember a number of years ago, 1996, I was helping put on a Billy Graham crusade in Atlanta and uh, thought I would have a chance to meet Billy, maybe from a distance. Well, I actually got to meet him pretty close up in a place I was not expecting. I was in the restroom and Billy comes in, first the security guy comes in to check it out and then Billy comes in and we're like standing at the urinal next to each other. I'm like, this is so odd. Like, what do you do? And I'm like, of all places, and man, you know, there's like man code. You don't talk to the guy next to you, but it's Billy Graham, right? And so I finish, I'm washing hands. He comes over, I, we say a few words and it was just one of these encounters like, you know, I guess Billy Graham goes to the restroom like the rest of us. He doesn't just float through life like everybody else. But these encounters that kind of impact our life and help us understand, you know, people are people. And we're going to look at an encounter this morning uh, in, uh, in Matthew 10, if you got your Bibles, is where we'll be, uh, where we're going to look at this story. But as Jesus encounters a blind man, a blind man, 
Now, I don't think in here this morning we have people that struggle with blindness. I know we have people in our faith family uh, that have Jason. Many of you know Jason, who uh, uh, just did an incredible film project. Uh, was screened last night. Some of you got to go see that. Jason is losing his vision. We've talked about some of the challenges of what it means as he deals with MS of, of losing uh, your vision. I've, I've never been blind. I've had to have, I had Lasix before, which was great. I have to wear reading glasses now so I can actually read my notes. I didn't want to do that, but I, I do. But I, I remember one time I was in a hotel taking a shower and the lights went out, like power went out right in the middle of the shower. And I mean, the shower was just completely dark. I mean, you felt completely disoriented all of a sudden, like, where's the hot water? Where's the cold water? Where's the shampoo? Grab the shampoo. Thought, you know, I'll just finish up my shower, get out quick. As I was shampooing my hair, I realized I'd made a mistake. It was not shampoo, but it was lotion. And uh, my hair was luxuriously smooth when I had hair uh, for, for a few days because that lotion would not come out of your hair. But my scalp was very moisturized, which was great. So, but it's that very disorienting feeling of like, you know, you can't see. You, you need people to help you get you around. And while we may not deal with physical blindness, we all deal with spiritual blindness. As a matter of fact, it's our natural state. Ephesians 5.8 says this, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We were all one time in the darkness. We were dark. It was difficult for us to see. We were disoriented spiritually. We all started that way. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He's basically saying, look, without Christ, the way we're born, the natural man, spiritual things are just, you're blind to them. We can't understand them. We don't see them. And the truth is this, spiritual blindness will keep us from pursuing Jesus. It will keep us from following Jesus, this straightforward path. We can get blind and we can easily get off the path. And that blindness can show up either in our ability to try to say, you know what, I'm going to legalistically follow Jesus and start doing things that get us focused on the task of following Jesus and not on Jesus. Or it can get focused on the things of the world, things that distract us, not because we're trying to do good, but because we're just wanting to do whatever brings us pleasure, and that blinds us. And this idea that we're going to look at today is that God has come to bring us hope and to bring us sight to where we were blind, to bring light into the darkness. And so we have a choice. We can either choose to stay blind or allow Jesus to give us sight this morning. And so let's look at Mark chapter 10, and we'll look at a few verses at a time and see this amazing story, this encounter with Jesus. And it said, And they, talking about Jesus and the disciples, came to Jericho, And then as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, before we read further, let me give you just what's happening here. Jesus traveled to Jericho. Jericho is way outside of Jerusalem, about a day or two walk outside of Jerusalem. He went to an area did some miracles, did some cool things there. When he went there, he was leaving. There was a great crowd following him, he said. And as he's leaving the city, he encounters this beggar. Now, I want you to understand, Bartimaeus was probably 100% not the only beggar there. Most beggars, they would gather outside of the city walls to, to catch people as they were coming in 
because maybe they had money to spend in the city or opportunity so that they might help them as they were coming in or to catch people as they were coming out. So maybe they bought something. Maybe they have some goods that they are coming out that they could share with them. So this was a place that was probably surrounded by beggars. People that needed help were, were wanting help from different people. But yet in this story, the one thing that we see is when Bartimaeus heard it was Jesus, he's the one that cried out. And so you and I, our first choice when we encounter Jesus, when we have an opportunity to to deal with our blindness, we can do this. We can either keep quiet or we can call out. We can either keep quiet or we can call out. It's a very simple choice. This guy Bartimaeus could have easily just kept quiet, maybe like everybody else. The other beggars there hoping that maybe someone would just show kindness upon them because they came by. But no, he cried out for mercy. If you want to stay blind, then believe that you don't need the mercy of Jesus. If you want to stay spiritually blind, believe that we don't need his mercy. That somebody else needs it, but it's not me. Keep portraying this idea that I've got everything together. I'm okay. I'm, Jesus, I, I like you, but I just don't need you kind of mentality. Bartimaeus could have heard that Jesus was coming by, and instead of calling out, He could have just tried to clean himself up a little bit, stand up, get there, be in the crowd, blend in like everybody else. He could have just been another face in the crowd like everybody else, just trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. Except the problem was he was blind. He couldn't get a glimpse of Jesus. Like he had to call out to get Jesus' attention. He had to call out. But yet we do the same thing. We have an opportunity. We'll come to church. We'll come to a service. We'll come to a Bible study. We'll have an encounter. We'll learn a new truth. And it challenges us. And we either say, we're going to deal with this or we're just going to act like we got it all together and hide it. The truth is, we're very good at this. And and here's what the world, and I think what we often do, is we try to protect our weaknesses while we project our strengths. Protect our weaknesses and project our strength. And while this sounds wise, In reality, especially in spiritual reality, it is folly to to project strength and protect our weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That was Jesus talking. And then Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. I'm not going to protect my weakness. I will boast about it so that Christ's power may rest in me. The very simple truth, if you want to be filled, you've got to take the top off and show that you're empty. If you need something fixed, you've got to be able to lift the hood and let somebody look in and see what the problem is. But what we challenge, this pride that we have in our life, keeps us from wanting to do this. We want to say, I'm just going to show you where I'm strong and not let anybody see my weakness. Don't let anybody see you sweat. And if you want to stay blind, then don't admit that you're blind. If you want to stay guilty, don't admit that you're a sinner. If you want to feel inadequate, don't admit that you need to help. If you want to keep feeling hopeless, don't admit that you're lost. But if you want to experience hope in this mercy of Jesus, then believe that Jesus' mercy is for you. Jesus came to give you mercy. And admitting our brokenness is the beginning of experiencing mercy. The way I describe it is this. You know magnets when you put the opposite poles together, man, they come together, they just, as quick as they can, but you flip one over and put the same poles together and they repel each other. Well, brokenness and mercy are like opposites that attract. 
When you admit your brokenness and show your brokenness, the mercy of God comes flying in, fills you up, meets you at your point of need. But as soon as we say we're prideful and we say, I don't need it, it's not that God's mercy is not trying to come in. We're just not allowing it, and it is repelling the mercy of God. And so our brokenness is what allows the mercy of God to flood in. What is the mercy of God? Let me give you just a couple of things that I, the way I've experienced God's mercy in my life. First of all, the mercy of God is very soothing. It brings instant relief. It starts to take away the pain and the sting of hurt, abandonment, sin, instantly. It's like instant soothing. If you're feeling anxious, inadequate, alone, or abandoned, then there's instant soothing, and Jesus there was there with comfort, love, and peace. If you're feeling guilty, shameful, dirty, sinful, full of regret— Jesus is instantly there with forgiveness to begin to wipe away the stain of sin. I love going to the beach. I love going, hanging out in the sun. The sun does not love me. I have two colors typically when I, white and red. Those are when I'm in the sun. Like it is, you know, I get burnt, like that burnt look. And when you see people, you're like, oh, that's going to hurt. That's me. That's what happens when I go to the beach. And there is this spray I think it's called, I just called it magic spray. I think it's called solacaine is the actual name of it. But when you spray it on you, it just like brings some instant, it's like standing in a refrigerator. It's just like, oh, like in that sunburn, at least for a few minutes, goes away. I remember when I was a kid, I would just come home like burnt, burnt to a crisp. And my my parents put sunscreen on me, everything. I just turned red. And I'd come back and I'd be like, magic spray, mom. Just give me the magic spray. Like, and that is what the mercy of God is. When we're feeling pain and we admit it to God, there's instant soothing, instant relief that comes in. But it's not just instant. The thing I love about God's mercy, it also brings healing. It's not just relief for a moment. It is healing. His presence, his mercy in our life begins the full healing process. It moves us from death to life. And I love what it says. It doesn't just make us new. It makes, I mean, better. It makes us new. Second Corinthians 5.17 says that he is constantly making us new, rebuilding us, reshaping us, bringing health fully back into our lives. It's like playing a video game and being on that last bar of health, and all of a sudden you catch that health pack, and it's like, you know, you're back up. Like you are full again. The mercy of God brings healing into our life. It's a health pack that comes and just like, not just the instant relief, but it starts to restore us fully. And sometimes that takes time. Pain sometimes takes time to heal. You break your arm, you get a deep cut, you got to go get stitches, you got to wear a brace. Sometimes deep pain, spiritual pain in our life still takes time to heal. And while there's instant relief, there is healing with the long-term presence of mercy in our life. But the third thing mercy is, is this. It's empowering in our lives. It gives us the power to walk through this life with confidence and as overcomers. To embrace this new life of like power surging through our souls. That when we see a challenge coming, we're not as fearful anymore. We're like, I know the mercy of God will allow me to handle this. Whether it's a physical challenge coming through or emotional challenge or something that gets you unexpectedly and you're like, what am I going to do? The mercy of God immediately reminds you, I'm here with you. I'll walk through this with you. And a lot of times we think the mercy of God is this. We think it's God taking us out of a tough situation, 
removing us from a tough situation. I'm moving it, getting us around it. Like we see something coming and we're like, God, just take me around that. Jesus even prayed that, right? I mean, he's in the garden. And he's like, God, if I don't have to go to the cross, take this from me. But if I do, I know that I can do this with you. And that's the prayer. We think sometimes it's going around, but the true test of mercy and the true power of mercy is not when we go around a problem, it's when we go through it. Through it. Walking through a problem with the presence of God helps us begin to see him much more clearly. I know for us, those of you who have known me for a while know this story. We're coming up on the 10th anniversary of losing Katie's dad tragically to an accident uh, down in Jacksonville Beach. It'll be in July. And we were, uh, we, were at, uh, we were all together as a family when we got the call and said, hey, you probably need to come down. Something's happened to Katie's dad. We didn't know for sure. As we were driving down, we kept getting updates and calls, knowing the situation we were driving to and were walking into was really hopeless for his life to be saved. We knew we were walking to a very difficult moment in our life. And, I mean, we're in a car literally driving to this. You, I mean, it was like driving toward the eye of a hurricane, toward a storm. And as much as we wanted to turn around, we knew this is what we were facing. But there was incredible power in the mercy of God as we were heading toward that to say, this is going to hurt. This is going to be difficult. This will scar you. Your life will be different than it ever was before this moment. It's not just smile, grin, and bear it. It's going to be tough, but we can make it through. And I will empower you to make it through. And that's what the beauty of the mercy of God is. It's helping us get through when we call out. And I love that Bartimaeus called out. He didn't sit there and act like he had it all together. And I want to challenge you. Start calling out when you have need, when, it's, when there's just pain or you see it coming at you. The first step in experiencing the mercy and having our eyes open is calling out for the mercy of God. But then something else unique happens here in verse 48. It says this. And then many, those that were around Jesus, started rebuking him and telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. I mean, this is, this is kind of insanity. These are people that are following Jesus. Many of them had probably already experienced the mercy of Jesus. Here's a guy who's obviously in need. He starts calling out, and they're like, nah, shut up, go away. We don't want your kind around here. And the truth is, you and I are going to have so many voices in our life. And the second choice that you and I have make when we encounter Jesus, and if we want to open our eyes, is this. We can either listen to people, or we can believe the truth. We can either listen to people or we believe the truth. I want you to hear this. Just because somebody says something to you doesn't mean it's true, worthy, and honorable. Just because somebody speaks the words. Just because they speak does not mean it's true, worthy, and honorable. And if you want to stay blind, then believe it when people tell you and use their words to tell you to stay away from Jesus. If they tell you, and it's not worth it. It's not worth following him. Or maybe they'll tell you, like, these, these were people following Jesus. And sometimes we can fall into these same traps of like when we're in the in crowd, we forget what it's like to be on the outside. And we forget how desperate these people really are that are lost. And we just start seeing how different they are than us. They think differently. They might approach life differently. And instead of looking at them with compassion, we start looking at them with disdain and we distance ourselves from them. And we start telling them some of these same words. We start rebuking them in different ways. And maybe you've heard people say this before in your life, or maybe you've used these words before, and I want to challenge us to be careful to not to listen or not to use these words to tell others that they aren't important enough 
to come to Jesus. We can easily tell people, or sometimes here in our own minds, somebody say to us, you're not important enough to come to Jesus. That's what they were telling this beggar. Like, you got nothing to offer Jesus. You know, you're just going to come and take from him. Like, you got nothing to offer. Stay away. And what's crazy, it's just a few verses earlier. There was another man who came to see Jesus. This man was a rich man, it says. And you know what they did? And you know what his followers did to this guy? They took him and escorted him to the front of the line. They brought him right up to Jesus. Like pushed everybody else aside and said, Jesus, you need to meet this guy. He's rich. He can help us. Like we can sleep in a hotel tonight if we get to know this guy. Like we're going to eat some good steak if we can hang out with this guy. And they brought him to the front of the line. And Jesus immediately challenges him. He's like, you know, what do you, what do you want? Do you want to follow me? And he's like, yeah, of course. And he's like, then sell all that you have. Because Jesus knew in that moment, it's not a call for us to, go and have the, a giant yard sale. But for us, it's this idea, what he was telling him, whatever, which is more important, what you have or me. And what he was saying, what we see here is a lot of times these guys that are rich, and I'm not talking about just uh, rich uh, financially, but people who think they've got it all together can add value to Jesus. They come thinking, I can do something for Jesus instead of realizing that Jesus can do everything for them. And it said this guy went away discouraged. But that's what they were telling Bartimaeus. You got nothing to offer. You're not important. We're not taking you to the front of the line. But there's another voice that's out there, and it's this idea. It's not that you just don't have anything to offer. We can either say to people or hear in our own minds that we aren't righteous enough to come to Jesus. We don't have it all together spiritually. Like we've got we've to really prove to him that I love him and that I'm going to follow him and I'm going to do all these things first before I could ever think about calling out to Jesus for his help. Like, I got to get my ducks in a row first. Got to make sure I am spiritually put together so when I go stand before Jesus, all he sees, we fall back into that idea of projecting strength, right? Instead of, you know, protecting our weaknesses. And we just say, I got to show Jesus how serious I am, how godly I am. And there was a group of people who did this all the time with Jesus too. It was the priests and the Pharisees. They didn't get escorted to the front of the line. Here's what they would do. Jesus would be sitting down eating with people. They would bust in, come, and like move people beside and sit down beside Jesus. Because they were like, we're the righteous ones. We're the godly ones. If you're godly, if people think are looking at you as godly, then we're going to come put ourselves right there. And they thought because of what they did, their external things, that they deserved to be in Jesus' presence. And I loved what Jesus often did when they would do that. He'd do one of two things. He'd either start to rebuke them immediately, which was always fun. But I loved when he went, oftentimes he would be like, oh, you guys are sitting here. I'm getting up and going to sit with these people. And he would leave them behind, go sit with the poor and those that really need him, not the self-righteous. And we can do that in our own lives. We can think, either I got to get everything right so that I finally get in front of Jesus. I'm presentable to him. Where I want you to hear, it's not about our, our righteousness, right? It even says, you know, our righteousness is like filthy rags. We don't have to prove our worth or demonstrate works to Jesus to get into his presence. All we have to do is call out. And we can either stay silent or if you want to see and experience hope, then believe the promises that Jesus has for you. And scripture is filled with promises. And I just want to remind you of some of these. I, I say these all the time, but I just want to remind them. I love as a church that we get to hear these often and remind ourselves and live out of these promises. The first promise is that Jesus accepts you and loves you. He loves you. 
There's nothing you need to change to make God love you more, accept you more. Where you at is where he will invite you in. And his mercy will fill in those gaps, fill in the parts about you that you don't like, fill in those broken parts and begin to bring strength into those areas and healing into those areas. I love that we don't have to do anything to prove ourselves to get into his presence, but once we're in his presence, Jesus begins to work in our lives in ways that we never imagined and begin to grow things in our life that we never imagined. Fruit begins to be expressed. And I don't know about you, sometimes I wake up. I mean, it's an odd morning that I may wake up and look in the mirror and don't like what I see. But most mornings, right, we're like, we look in the mirror and you're like, oh, less hair, more gut. Like, it's just, you, you know, you're, you don't like what you see and you start, oh, I got to change this, change this, change this. And I just want you to hear this morning and very truthful and as honestly say it, you may not like what you see in the mirror, but God loves it. He loves it. He loves what he sees when he looks at you. And just remember that he accepts you and he loves you. He's calling you into his presence. But he also says that he'll protect us and he'll prosper us. That he is for us. That God is good and wants good for us. God isn't waiting for you to do your part and then he'll come in at the last minute and add the finishing touches. He's not waiting for you to get in such desperate trouble that he's your last resort. Jesus isn't waiting on you to call him. He is walking this life with you. As a matter of fact, he's, he's, if he's not with you, he's in front of you. He's going before you to clear paths, to clear obstacles out for you, to make a way even in the darkest ways. He'll protect you and he'll prosper you. And then the final promise to remember is he won't forsake you or forget you. There's no sin. There's nothing, no rebellion too great, too far. You can't run too far away from God that he can't find you. There's no path that you'll take that he doesn't already know about. And what I love about our God is this, is as far as we run from him, when we, when we come to a point and we're like finally ready to repent and turn back and we ran 10 miles from him, it's not like we got to make 10 miles up to get back. He's followed us and he is right there. As soon as we turn around and repent, his presence is right there. It's been with us the whole time. He won't forsake you or forget you. And the truth is, you can let the voices of people telling you and your own voices telling you you're not worthy enough, you haven't done enough, it works to get into God's presence. You can let that fill your mind and overtake you or you can let the voices and the promises of God put them on repeat in your mind. Let them drown out the other voices. And when we do that, we start to walk in confidence. Hebrews 4.16 says this. I love that we get to do this. It said, let us... Then, those of us that are followers of Christ, let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. If you need to remember a verse today, remember Hebrews 4.16, that you and I can approach the throne of God, the throne of mercy and grace, with confidence. And it is poured out on us. His promises are ever true in our lives. Jesus then does something here. He you know, they're trying to rebuke him. And now we'll look at what happens in verse 49. It says, Jesus stopped when he heard him and said, call him. And all of a sudden, these people changed their mind. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, and I love this line, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. The final choice that you and I get to make when we encounter Jesus and we want to actually see 
is we can either stay shallow or we can go deep. We come to this point where we encounter Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want from me? What do you want? And the truth is, this guy had a lot of needs. He was a blind beggar, which meant one he couldn't see. He was homeless, penniless, probably friendless, probably was dirty, hadn't showered. I mean, we, we encounter these people all the time, right? Very, we, we like to walk to the other side of the street sometimes. The smell in the subway causes us to change subway cars. This was Bartimaeus. He wasn't like just an old blind man. He was a dirty, homeless, penniless man. Desperate. Desperate. He could have asked, and Jesus asked him, what do you want from me? The truth is, he could have stayed shallow. And he could have been like, Jesus, do you have a few dollars for dinner tonight? Do you have a place I could stay or maybe just a place I could clean up? And he could have asked Jesus to solve some of the symptoms of his true problem. And if you want to stay blind, then just ask Jesus to help you with the small things of your life. And we do this all the time. Somebody will say, you know, where we have these encounters with Jesus. What do you want from me? And we, we stay shallow. We're like, oh, oh, God, just, you know, help me stop sinning. Help me be a better person. Help me out of this problem. Whatever it is, we, we stay very generic, right? We stay generic, shallow, give, you know, we keep a mask on. We don't allow God to think that he can really see our true needs. But it was obvious that Bartimaeus was blind. Obvious. Jesus knew that, but he wanted to see how deeply Bartimaeus would allow him into his life. And you and I, if we want to experience true hope and we want to see, then we have to allow Jesus into the depths of our heart and soul. When he says, what do you need from me? We have to be gut-level honest. We have to invite him into the dark places, the, the places that we don't think anybody else wants to see, and certainly God doesn't want to see. We have to stop hiding from Jesus. And I want to challenge you to invite Jesus into the very depths of who you are, behind the curtain of your soul. But not even just that first curtain. Because like we'll, we'll occasionally let somebody in deep. But I want, to invite, I want to challenge you to let Jesus in behind the first curtain, the second curtain, the third curtain, into that back room, and that chest that you keep hidden back there in a locked door, like the part of you that you think nobody wants to see. And certainly if Jesus saw it, he would forsake me, he would not accept me, and he would not protect me. He would run in the opposite direction. And as hard as it is to invite him into that, here's why it's important. Because until we allow Jesus there into the darkest recesses, the dirtiest parts of our soul, we will always think that if he sees that, he's gone. And we'll never feel fully accepted, loved. We'll feel like he'll forsake me. And he certainly won't protect me. We've got to let him there. And if I let him in there, if I stop hiding, then I can start to have a true community, true connection with Jesus. How do we do this? How do you stop hiding? One, be honest. Take the mask off. Masks usually just blind you anyway. You can't see well when you're wearing a mask. Let it off. Let Jesus see you for who you are. Just open it up. Be honest. But then second... Then be vulnerable. Let him love you as you are. You don't have to put on, a, put on the makeup or use an f- Instagram filter for your life. They have these apps now. I downloaded one the other day just to see what it would do. Now you're going to start looking at my pictures. Like, you know, like it, you just put a picture up and like all of a sudden like makes you look ten, year, ten years younger. Like it 
takes all the wrinkles away. It does all this, like, just with a touch of a button. And then, like, you can instantly share it to Instagram. And I was like, this is great, <laughs> right? Except it's not true. It's just not true. And I'm sure people do it all the time, Photoshop everything. They have this image that they're trying to project so that people will like them and love them. And I want to ask you, just be vulnerable. Let Jesus see you. Pimples, acne, age, whatever it is, let just Jesus see you where you are because in that vulnerability, you will experience the deepest love and the most grace and the most mercy. And then that's where intimacy comes in. That's where we start having an intimate relationship, wanting Jesus' presence with us. When I travel sometimes, one of the hardest things is just being away from my wife, Katie. Like wherever, we've been married so long and together so long and such an intimate relationship, wherever she is, I want to be. Or wherever I am, I want her to be there. It's this idea, I'd, it's us. It's not me and her, it's us. And when we're not together, it feels like a part of me that's not there. And that's the way we ought to walk through this life in such a way that wherever we are, we want Jesus there with us. Or wherever we see Jesus working, we want to go there. We don't want to be separate. We don't want to keep him out of any part of our life. We want to invite him deeper and deeper, deeper and deeper. And that's what Bartimaeus did. He said, Rabbi, let me see. It's probably obvious, but if you want to know, I want to see. Fix my eyes. And what is it that Jesus is asking you today? What's the answer when he says, what do you need from me? Will you be cut level honest and say, I want to see, or I need this, whatever it is. Because in Mark 10:52 we see what Jesus does. It says, Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. Now, why did Jesus heal blind people? Why did he heal Bartimaeus? He didn't heal people just so they could see. He healed them so they could see him. So they could see him. And the same thing is true in our lives. Jesus deals with our spiritual blindness. He tries to knock that pride out of our life and tells us to call out for mercy. He tries to knock the negative voices out of our lives and help us to believe his promises. He tries to help us to, to knock the idea that there's part of us that he won't love and says, let me go deep so that we can see him can see him more clearly and fully than we've ever experienced. The question I have for you today is this. What do you want Jesus to do for you instead of thinking of what it is that you need to do for Jesus? That's what it is to go straight forward, to walk straight forward in our life, is to start asking ourselves daily, Jesus, this is what I need you to do for me today. Instead of living our life thinking, this is what I've got to do for Jesus today. There's freedom in understanding that I need him and he doesn't need me, but he wants to be with me. Let's pray together. As we hear this story, God, it's so easy in our lives to, uh, <coughs> to think, well, I'll do that someday. I'll open up someday. I'll be honest one day, but not right now. It's too much on the line. I'll just blend in. I'll just act like I'm a part of the crowd like everybody else and I won't admit that I'm blind. It's easy to put it off till tomorrow. God, I'm, Jesus, I'm glad that you're there tomorrow if we decide to do it tomorrow, but I am even more grateful and thankful that you are calling us today to see. You're asking us, God, what, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? God, would you allow us to be honest today and to live in the bountiful, amazing nature of your mercy? 
to remember that your mercy is new every day. There's nowhere we can hide from it. There's no sin that will separate us from it. God, tonight, today in this moment, in this very room, you're here to meet us with your mercy. God, would we step into it now in this moment? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.